0: But anyway, it's great to, great to have everyone here. Just please, the first thing, don't worry, I'm not saying anything amazing. Um, we, are, we are not parenting gurus. Just to, to say that out there, we, we are very unproven. We've got a, a plethora of children and our numbers of ages. Um, and we are certainly not standing up to tell you how to do this. We do not have your children. Your children are your own children and children to be if if more to come but they're yours. And you have to bring them up in your own way, in your own um, style and find your own rhythm to it all. We have just done things and found out things that maybe are helpful and if they're helpful to you, perfect. If they're not helpful for you, no problem, throw them away. But uh, what we're going to do tonight is just go through what the Bible says. Because at the end of the day, without the Bible, we are done. And there are dozens and thousands of books on child, uh, on parenting. You can find a million. And some of them are helpful, some of them are not helpful, uh, in my, or our opinion. But, I'll but please, this there's only one real book that works. And it's the Bible, and you say, "Well, there's nothing much on child There's tons on it, and you have to apply it to your child." But friends, I, I can tell you this: bringing up our children, no book, nothing has told me what to do with some of the things that I had to deal with, and uh, I-, I don't want to. I want my children to listen to this <laughs> I mean, day, told this. But honestly we have we have said, I've had someone come to me and say, Listen, I think your wife needs you. And I've arrived to find a particular family member, not a stitch of clothing on,
1: screaming
0: and my wife saying, I will beat you. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, We've had a whole range of things go down and and have fun. But honestly, those are my children. I don't expect you to have to deal with my children. But let's see what the Bible says and how, how we can just go through this thing together. We are here to answer questions if we can. they our perspective. They might not be yours and you might think, what oh, alone no, 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 are you nuts? That's fine too. But we are gonna try and um, Get our way through this so that it's helpful to you that, um, and that it, we learn and what becomes helpful uh, for us. So that's, that's the plan. The questions we do trust that we can answer. Uh, some of them we might say, listen, we're going to do that next week or the week after and, and we'll see, see how that goes. But let me just read to you a, uh, something that John MacArthur wrote about parenting. He said, it is simply dangerous, especially in a culture like ours, for a parent to back away and permit a child's own nature to determine, in the moral and ethical sense, what he or she becomes. In that scenario, humanly speaking, there can be only one outcome, a life of sin. Let your child do whatever they want, whenever they want, and don't worry, they'll find their own level is not going to go well, I'm just telling you. And the Bible tells us that and helps us in these things. It's God's word that comes against that. And so you often hear people say, oh, don't worry. Uh, I'm just going to i will present the truth and my child will find its own truth. I'm telling you now they won't find the truth. They'll find sin before because it's a much wider path. And so it's easy to find that path, the th- narrow path is the one that we must at least present to them. Yes, they will have to make a decision at some point, but you can present that uh, decision. So, what we desperately need, he says, is a return to the biblical principles of parenting. Christian parents don't need new shrink-wrapped programs. They need to apply and obey consistently the simple principles that are clearly set forth for parents in God's word. So (laughs) if you don't know who we are, just to start with, obviously, this is Beth. And uh, we have five children. And that doesn't qualify us to stand here either, I promise you. I've seen people with one child. And they've done an outstanding job of being able to present truths of God. I've seen people with more than that. And we're we're not standing here because we've got lots of children. Uh, We're just standing here because God would have us stand you, I hope. But something of that, so in that in our children, we have discovered things and we've discovered things in the Bible, as we've read it, we've been convicted to do something about what the Bible says. And so we constantly them if you don't have children, if you're about to have children, if you've got a hundred of them, Deuteronomy six six. In fact let's I'm gonna turn there if you don't mind. Deuteronomy six, verse six and seven. Says an amazing thing. It says, These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. So we have we have purposefully made taken every made the most of every opportunity with our children be it driving home because you can drive home from school in dead silence or you can make the most of every opportunity so now you've got an opportunity you've got 20 minutes or 10 minutes or however long to get home and if they're older you can let them play on their phones or if they're younger they can stare out the window you can make the most of every opportunity and sometimes we talk about a car sometimes we talk about the sea and other times we talk about how babies are made it's just an opportunity these these are opportunities that happen all the time and just we have to make the most of them so we talk about it at home we make the most of every opportunity around the dinner table you say okay well if i say grace quickly then it'll, that'll be over and we can get on to the important things. No, no, it's an opportunity to open the Bible and say, man, what did God say today? We trust in God that you can together trust God for something uh, financial, say. So there's a financial breakthrough. And you say, okay, listen, as a family, let's get together and let's trust God together. We're just going to make the most of every opportunity when we're sitting, when we're standing, et cetera, et cetera. In, in Proverbs 22, verse 6, it says, Train a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not turn from it. And that's she, obviously. Train a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he'll not turn from it. But if, it's, if you only start when they're 18, it's, fine. it's never too late. But I tell you, if you start when they're 2, you've got a much better chance of it, of it taking hold. And so these are just examples of scriptures that uh, that we we can have, and uh, the other is discipline them when they're wrong. if you have a look in proverbs twenty two in verse thirteen it says proverbs twenty three sorry twenty three thirteen says do not withhold discipline from a child. If you punish him with a rod, he will not die. Punish him with a rod and save his soul from death. Now I'm treading on thin ice with some people because some don't believe in, in, in corporal punishment and that's quite fine. I mean, it's against the law, but don't let that worry you. But in your own home, in, in, the, in your own home, don't do it in the road if you do believe in it. There's a particular gentleman who was on eldership here who disciplined a child in the road and ended up in big trouble from the lady over the road who phoned child So don't do it in public, friends. We'll deal with discipline at some point. But what we're trying to say is, what does the Bible say? The Bible says we discipline our children. Do you mean we abuse them? Of course not. But we can discipline them. These are things just that we go on and on. Do not withhold. It also says don't provoke them to anger. When we discipline them incorrectly, I'm telling you, they become angry, and quite rightly so. But it says in Colossians chapter 3, let's have a quick look there. Flicking through in Colossians 3 verse 20, it says, Children, obey your parents in everything, because this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they'll become discouraged. So it says, children, obey your parents. And so you've got a child that's running wild. It's an opportunity to sit down with them and say, listen, the Bible says, obey you, obey me. So I'm not asking you. I'm telling you what the Bible says. So if you argue with me, you're not arguing with me. You're arguing with the Bible. You're arguing with what Jesus has taught us and told us. And so it's much easier to deal with a child when you're trying to raise them in a godly manner by saying, "Hey, guys, it's the Bible. That's the truth. We know, it's not our opinion here. We're just telling you, God has got for us for you to obey us. Are we giving you ridiculous commands and asking you to do ridiculous things? Of course not. Everything we do, this is big. Everything." A parent does is for the child's good. If you can get that into your children, if you can get that into your children, please do that. Don't do it for your good. Do not live your lives through your children. We see it all the time, especially around the soccer field or whatever field. You see the, the parents living their lives through their children. So if their children do well, they're happy. If their children do badly, they're not happy. Not cool. Just let your child live the life. But everything we do, we do for the sake of our children. Uh, don't mishear me here. I'm talking in relation to them, about them. And so therefore then when we when we say obey us, it's for your good. Not for my good. It doesn't help me that that you obey me. No, it's for your good that you work out that when one day you walk down the aisle and you walk down if you're a your spouse next to you, on the left or the right, whatever it is, I want you to have that, the best opportunities ever because of you learn to obey me. And if you learn to obey me, you learn to obey God. And you can learn to submit and to one another in a marriage and do the best you can for each other. And it starts in, as a child. starts as, as, as the baby comes out. We start working towards that day which will send them on their weary way. When they can win their weary way out the house. Failure to launch? Not. We want them to launch. Move on. We do not want our children in our homes forever. If you do, that's a bad thing. One guy said to me, how do you prepare for your children to leave home? I said, as it came out the womb. Man, I've been preparing to say cheerio. (laughs) They must move along. Love having them around, but they mustn't stay with me. We've got two left. Man, it's the best thing ever. (laughs) Two to go. Of course we love having them around, but not all the time. Ephesians 6, honor, obey, and teach your children. Children must learn to honor their parents, but fathers, don't exasperate your children. Very easy for a father to exasperate this child. It's very easy for a father to lord it over their child and be strong with discipline. And then the child just gets more and more exasperated because so often I do this all the time. Don't talk. Don't talk back. Don't talk. I don't want to hear. Very frustrating for a child. Doesn't mean that they can just be cheeky and talk when they feel like it, but in the right manner and mode they learn how we do these things. So what this is basically dealing down to is the top priority job that we have is to be the evangelist to our children. That's our job. We're going to be an evangelist so that our children learn who the Lord is, why Jesus came, and what he's done for us and what he's doing for us in the future. And that's our number one job. We teach them the gospel and show them their need of a savior. We point them to Jesus. That's that's our job. Everything they do, whether they're on a sports field, whether they're around a a chessboard, whether they are in a debating society or whether they're getting the best marks that they possibly can. They are doing it because Jesus, we've put Jesus in them. They, they are behaving in a way that they're behaving. Why? Because Jesus has pointed them there. And uh, they've got to grow up with a keen awareness of salvation. So they, man, they, they've got to know. Man, we need to get saved. And how do we get saved? Well, that's, that's the walk that we walk and we we work it out with them. And so it's an amazing thing. The most persistent temptation, John MacArthur says, is not the world. The children we get born, one of the questions which we'll try and answer says, how do you get um, yesterday's parents, it's not quite said like this, but I'll read it, it's said quite well, yesterday's parents with today's children. How do you as a yesterday's parent teach a today's child or bring up a, a today's child? And i tell you, the most persistent temptation is not the world. It's, it's oh, sorry, not the devil, but it's the flesh inside. Every child is, every person, born sinful, just can't get away from it. But we can teach them how to get around this. And so, as I said to you, we are in a parenting process. We were at Home group the other night, and the one couple, whose children had just left home. Said, I'm oh, so glad we stopped, we don't have to parent anymore. Mm, not convinced about that. I've got a 25 year old who still phones for advice. That's part of the parenting process. And they still phone, and you dread the phone call as they get older. I do. Because I don't know what's happened like on Saturday when he'd had an accident. Those are the not cool uh, calls that I wait for. But that happened. Parenting, I don't think parenting ever stops. But I've got a 14-year-old who, who needs different parenting to the 25-year-old. But it's just a process. But what we do believe in and what we see in the Bible is purposeful parenting, that we parent on purpose. We, we don't let our children just do what you want, go to your mates whenever you feel like go to whatever mates you want. No, no, we purposefully parent them. We're careful how they, they are brought up. We train a child in the way he should go so that he doesn't turn from it. And you can hear this until you're blue in the face and put everything into practice. And there's still no guarantee of how your child will turn out. They still can make decisions. But we are the, a praying parent that purposefully parent them as best we can. And so we are just two parents who are muddling along best we can. Do we get it right all the time? Definitely not. And we, we sit in a community that is unbelievably helpful. This, we live in a village, the village called Glenridge. Very helpful. It's not a hand your child over when you walk through the back door and think, whew, brilliant, the community can take care of it and the child can run absolutely amok. No, no, we're handing the child to a community to say, love the child, and please, if we need help, we can ask. There are hundred people. The Fanfurans, they have done it. The Stanley Investments—they've done it. They're, they're just great sources of of help. And so when someone is shouting, um, "I will beat you," <laughs> it's very helpful. For I know a better example, much better example. The one lady had a bata. She had a bata. That's the biggest nightmare you've ever had. Don't ever pray for a bata. And pray you don't get a bata. Batter. Bata's are tough work. So she had a bata. So she says, now what? She's just going to stay at home. Because her child bit everyone. Everybody she found, she bit. So she says, no, I'm going to stay at home. She feels God say, do not stay at home. Just shepherd her through. And uh, turned out a delightful young lady later on but she never stayed at home. Don't leave the community, don't miss the community. The community is hugely important. It's not that you can give up your responsibilities to bringing up children, but it does mean that there are others that can help. And it's an incredible community. I'm so grateful for this community. Single parents are so grateful for this community because fathers will, will step in when they need and mothers will step in when they need it and it's an amazing opportunity but doesn't give our responsibility that we can throw it away. So I'm going to stop there, and Beth will carry on, and we'll see what happens after that.
1: So I'm also just going to talk about scriptures that have helped me, and, and I think I think we're just going to start in Genesis, because that's always a good place to start at the beginning. Um, So in Genesis 1, it says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air. And so from the beginning, God commanded... Man. Well, he made man, and then he said to them, "Be fruitful, and multiply." So the concept of having kids is a godly thing. We were we were told to go and fill the earth and subdue it. So we took that quite literally. You know, five. We had to multiply like two. You've got to times. You can't just add. So so we got to we got to five, but um, and that was you know because God God did that. But um, but this concept of of so, to not have to, to to consciously make a decision not to have children, you need to have heard from God because it' it 's the kind of god given thing is to is to multiply and and we trust that as godly people and we bring up godly children that that our children would have an influence for the kingdom you know and so so we yeah, we always say we didn 't you know we had children to to further the gospel you know as much as to um, look after us when we're old. <laughs> but um, yeah, and, and, and then I think the other mandate there that God said, he said uh, multiply, but he also said rule over the earth. And so this concept of dominion and of having authority is important, that we have authority over this earth as, as God's creation. And we teach our children to have authority over their situation, their emotions, their—you know—they are influences, because because God gave man that mandate, um, <clears throat> and then the other scriptures that I that I love um, about children is Psalm one hundred and twenty-seven, that I am sure a lot of you know, but I am going to read it because you can't often hear hear it again and you hear something different. Eh? So, Psalm one hundred and twenty-seven says, sons are a heritage from the Lord, children a reward from him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are the sons born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame. And just sometimes you don't actually feel your children are a reward. (laughs) They, They test you and they try you, but they are a blessing and they should be a reward. So if your child is not being more of a blessing than not, then ask God how can you help them to be a blessing because God made them a blessing and children are an incredible blessing. But sometimes we need to ask God for help because they're struggling. But I think, I think for me, I'm always am just so aware that your, your journey with your children is actually it's about them, but it's actually about you because God uses nothing like your children to deal with you. And to deal with your issues. And so often, if, you, if there's something and you're struggling with it, it's like, just, just ask God, what, what's He doing in your heart? Because we have to change and we have to be sanctified through the process of, of our child rearing. Um, because we don't want to hand our issues to our children, we don't want to, you know, them have to deal with our problems. Because they've got enough of their own to deal with, so so really let God deal with you through this through this um, this journey, and then so there it says, um, like arrows in the hands of a warrior, are sons born in a man's youth. So so your children, I mean, arrows have a purpose and they have an impact. So your children are made for purpose and for impact. Um, and, and so we pray that in. We say, Lord, who is this child? What what have you created them to be? And we can be part of God because they're all they're unique. They've got their own blueprints and they've got their own eternal destiny that God has ordained. And we just want them to be that, whatever God's made um, them to be. Um, and blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. So it, it is a beautiful thing. And I think um, I'm always challenged by... Um, by the African cultures and how they honor families and they honor um, the elderly and they honor the the sort of family unit. I think the West has lost some of that. Um, When I was pregnant with Michael, so we had four and then I was pregnant, and we went to Cape Town. and, And you just watch people look at you like, they just look like one, two, three, and then they just, they like lose it. They're like, no, this family's crazy. So we went to the beach and, and I mean, I was... I said to Paul, "Just let's go and sit with those Muslim people over there because they they are a family." So I was like, "Then they won't look at me funny because they'll think it's wonderful that we've got all these children." So you just you you just realise different cultures um, see children differently and and honour children differently. But what does God say? He says, "Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them." You know, and 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 I mean, I think we had to settle very early on that god provides because if if you're waiting for the finances to come in to have a child you'll you will wait forever because there'll never be enough but if god creates a child god sustains a child so you you get you get to realize this isn't about me and I'm having to provide this is about god and his and his plans and his provision for our kids the other lovely psalm is 144 <clears throat> which I've got here, because it talks about daughters. Um, 11. Psalm 144 says, Deliver me and rescue me from the hands of foreigners. Their mouths are full of lies and their hands are deceitful. Then our sons in their youth will be like well-nurtured plants, and our daughters will be like pillars carved to adorn a palace. So, And the, the whole psalm talks about this, this warfare, and then it talks about worship, and then it talks about your children. So we know we, we, we are in a war. You know that our, our walk with God is, is taking ground, and it's often a battle. And worship is our, is our greatest weapon. But it says, then your sons and your youth will be like well-nurtured plants, and our daughters will be like pillars carved to adorn a palace. I love that because girls are strong, women are strong, <laughs> um, and, and, and I've got a particularly strong daughter <laughs> who was taking her clothes off and having a dramatic scene <laughs> in her toddler years, but, um, but it's a beautiful thing, and, and we must um, – there are pillars. Daughters really can be pillars in, in our society. The Bible is definitely the go-to book, and, and it's obviously what we live with. But I think the, the most helpful second book to the Bible that I've, that I've used over the years is from Focus on the Family, and it's called Baby and Child Care, and it's just a big, fat book, and it just goes through pregnancy to rashes to... I'm a doctor, so all the medical stuff in there is really cool, but it goes through all the age groups... And just what to expect and, you know, what they can absorb at that age. But it's, it's completely biblical and godly because um, it's written by Christians, you know. And one of, it says in, in there, it says, The task of parenting is too scary on our own. There's not enough knowledge in books to guarantee the outcome of our duties. We desperately need divine help to do the job properly, to fulfill this calling. It's a calling to be a parent. Um, and the, um, yeah, I always used to say, are you ready for a 20 year responsibility? But we aren't 25 now and we're still responsible. So <laughs> not financially, but you still carry them and you still, um, yeah, they're still your children. Um, and the other lovely quote in, in that um, book that, I've, that I often share at the moms' groups because it's, it's just so, it's just a beautiful declaration. Um, And it says that it's a crucial message that you want to convey to your children that they can see and hear and feel in hundreds of different ways. And this is the the message. You are loved. You are important. You always will be, no matter what happens. I care enough for you to provide for you, stand with you, coach you, correct you, and even die for you if necessary. My commitment to you is not based on on what you do or don't do, how you look, whether your body is perfect or disabled, or how you perform in school sports, school or sports. It's based on the fact that I am your parent and you are my child, a priceless gift that God has loaned me for a season. Eventually, I will release you to live your own life, but while you're growing up, I consider caring for you an assignment of utmost importance. And that's, that's our commitment to our children. That's, They might not always like what we have to say or how we do it, but but we are committed to them. We love them. God gave them to us. They're a gift, and and we will ask God how to to parent them and what he's got for them. So as I said, just as long as you settle at the very beginning, it's not about you. (laughs) Um, It's the most challenging thing um, you'll ever do but it's also the most rewarding thing. It's that sort of balance of, of can be just so challenging and yet it's so rewarding. Um, when, when we studied, um, they teach you Maslow's hierarchy of needs and it starts with your basic you know, food and water and it goes up to education. And then at the very top of this hierarchy is significance. And I remember driving home from the hospital after Josh was born and I was like, oh, actually, now I know what significance is. This is this is significant. Like everything that I've done before, and whatever degrees and whatever, it's it's like this is actually something. This is a different level. Now this is this is something. This is a life. I mean, holding this life and thinking, this is now this is significant. This this task of parenting. <clears throat> and so, as I said, God is dealing with us. Um, 1 Timothy 2.5 says, women are saved in childbearing, which is a very debated scripture. But if you see, we are saved when we give our life to Jesus. We are being saved while we are walking on this earth as believers. And then we are saved when we die because we go to heaven. And that being saved as believers, the other word for that is sanctified. And just that we know that God uses parenting, certainly for women, um, as the that's the the, the most the way i have been most sanctified is is by parenting and by bringing up my kids. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I, I think the 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 time even before you're pregnant, and I'm and great to see to see people here who haven't got children yet, but um, just the concept of God knits a child together in in their mother. So God has already ordained that that child. It says, um, I think it's Jeremiah, where he says, I knew you before you were in your mother's womb. And then there's Psalm 139 that that we'll read. But the concept of God made this child, and so he knows who this is and what his plans are for that child. And so... Even naming a child, it's its its a very important thing. And so, Lord, what is your name for this child? So when you're pregnant, you ask God, well, who is this child and what name is... Because a name, you, you're saying that all the time. As God spoke the world into being, God, he, he made man out of the dust of the earth, but he just said, let there be light, let there be. So so words are incredibly powerful and words of God are incredibly powerful. So, so just that, that one prays and one asks and one doesn't use names and words and you know that that's that are not part of the prophetic utterance of God um, and then and the, write down what God says about your child so so yeah I've, we've had a little book for each of our children where we've just written yeah scriptures or if somebody gives them a word or um, milestones in their life or but there's incredible times of prophecy um, when it over a child, and and it's it's quite interesting if you look in in Luke at, at Jesus's birth, there was this flurry of, you know, of, of her being pregnant and all the stuff that went down, and and then finally she has the baby, and then there are the angels and there's the shepherds and there's the wise men, and then it goes quiet for many years, and there, there are these times of flurry around a child, and just. Especially around their birth, and just be faithful with that, and, and journal it, and and keep a record of, of that time when, um, when when things are said, um, and it's beautiful in Luke 2:19. It says, Mary tre- treasured all these things and pondered them in her heart. And it's just, it's just, yeah. So all that flurry, Mary pondered them and treasured them, um, because she knew this child was different. You know, God had said that, but but what did that? What was that going to look like? um and and so yeah so just just be faithful with and you i mean it doesn't mean you can't start now you can't um record things in fact recently i mean there's so many um people often just say a prophetic word and you can just record it on your phone you know so um, the other day I was looking through all my voice notes and I've got Susie's word from Sheena and this word from this person. Just be faithful with those and give them to them. And there are times when they're actually not interested in that, you know, but just keep it just keep it away. Because <laughs> then there are times when you can bring it out and say, But remember this, remember that, you know. Even your own prophecies. You bring them out and you and you read again, what what is God saying? What did He say? <clears throat> So Psalm 139 and, and the same way that, that, that you treasure these, y- your children can treasure the word of God um, and through, through what is said over them. And somebody had a, a prophetic word about Sam when he was very little and they said they saw him on a train with his cap backwards and he was driving this train and the train was full of people and those were all people that he'd led to the Lord. And, and I remember he came to me when he was about, to, so that was in preschool, and then he obviously read it or something, and he came to me the one day and he says, you know, Mom, you know that, that picture of the train? I'm going to be that person. So it's like, it, it, they think about it, and then suddenly it, it, like, it takes root, you know. And I, I mean, I still have to remind him about that <laughs> sometimes. Remember, remember the train. <laughs> but um, <clears throat> yeah. They they, they they learn to take hold of God's word. Um, am I? putting that there. Uh, so Psalm one hundred and thirty nine. It's such a famous scripture, um, and and so poignant. But let's read it again. <clears throat> For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in that secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. And just such, it's just so beautiful. And yeah, I mean, it just in this day and age where people just think that it's your choice if you, you know, are going to terminate a pregnancy. It's, it's just God created, God creates. How many people are longing for children and can't fall pregnant? It's a sovereign act for, for a sperm and an egg to meet and create a brand new DNA. I mean, once that sperm and that egg unite, from that minute on, there is a new blueprint for a new being so so how can you say well I don't know when life begins I mean life began at that point of of creation of that of that child <clears throat> yeah so just as Paul said um, it's not a given that your child is going to give their life to the Lord but so we pray for that. We actively pray for our children to come to know Jesus and to follow Him. I always pray, may they love You, may they know You, love You, serve You, and please You all the days of their of their lives, because we need to pray that. We need to 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 ask God for that. But in the same way, Jesus is very attractive. He really makes a lot of sense and. He is the answer to the world's problems. So in the same way we can expect them to, as we walk in his ways, that they will walk in his ways too, you know. So don't be on the, oh, maybe they won't. No, they, they're going to. I mean, and if, if they're not going to follow you too, they they're going to follow the, the beautiful people in the community. And I think that's, as Paul said, this is our village. And um, before our kids got to teenage years, we, we spoke to a, a couple that we met in Vietnam, actually, but they were um, from South Africa and they had children older than ours. And we said, how, you know, well, how do you get children to kind of serve God through their teenage years? And they said that it was really h- helpful, because you're always the parents, so you always have that, that role, but they spoke about having intergenerational role models, so that when they're teenagers they want that cool person in their 20s you know who who they can who's serving God and passionate about God who they can can look up to because they've heard it from you and they you know they make their opinions but but if you if you if they have other people around and that kind of intergenerational cool cool people that they can follow it it really um stimulates their faith and um yeah, it was actually amazing because Josh and, and Matt, that kind of era, they had great youth leaders um, at youth here, but a lot of them actually left the church and went south. And I was quite worried, like, oh, golly. because. But it's amazing how they processed that, and, and they appreciated them for what they taught them, but they understood that they'd chosen the wrong way, you know. Um, yeah so, so, so but they still experience that reality of that worship and that faith of those youth leaders even though some of them aren't actively serving the Lord now so, so God is gracious and he, and he, you know, he works through all, all things yeah so as, as we said words are powerful God spoke the world into being and so never speak death or curses over your child and and I say that's like oh no you'd never do that but but you can you can get frustrated and you can say are you so silly or you did it you're so naughty never never say that to your child and that's not to say they're wonderful all the time but but don't don't say you're naughty you can say you did a naughty thing so separate the action from the child because we can all make choices and they can be bad choices, and we want to acknowledge that that was not a wise choice and it has consequences. But don't label them and call them something, because that's not, then you're not speaking life, you know. Um, <clears throat> and in the same way as we as we correct our children, that we walk humbly because we make mistakes as well, and that we're quick to say sorry when we lose our temper or when we say something, I'm really sorry I did that, I'm sorry I said that, um, please forgive me. Um, <clears throat> Just the power of words. We also, we always said in our house, you can never say I can't, you know, I can't, I can't do this. No, you, you can. You might not be able to do it on your own, but you need to say, please help me. So so that you don't, their mouths mustn't confess, I can't, I can't, or, so that you always say, I can't do this, but please help me, or please, um, so because God can do anything. Nothing's impossible for God. So so we don't want to, to, to ever say that something's impossible. And the other thing that we never let our children say is I don't care. Because Jesus cares. So you can't say, I don't care, because Jesus cares. So you might not be interested in that, and we can find other ways of saying things, but, um, but you can't say, I don't care, because somebody cares, and Jesus cares. So let's sort out that, you know, that situation with the person who does care. <clears throat> As Proverbs 18, verse 21 says, Life and death are in the power of the tongue. And that we, yeah, that we're just aware of that. That's what I've got for now. Cool.
0: <laughs> so, okay, let's just have a break and have some tea and coffee. I do trust that this evening the whole point was, and this is what the Bible says. And something of what the Bible does say is what we've tried to put into practice. And we can answer questions. We can, in the weeks to come, just practically what does that mean how do you discipline how do you get your children to love the lord and to walk in his ways um but just those sorts of things with, that we'll 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 deal with uh, just so, so beth fortunately it's very helpful to have beth praying all the spiritual things and and lord may they love Um, Love you all the days of your life. Let me tell you what I prayed for for nine months. It was very stressful. I found pregnant. So I had 45 months of stress in my life. And um, what I prayed for, 10 fingers, 10 toes, everyone prays for health. I prayed for good looking, tall, No no learning disabilities. I didn't pray for inquisitive because somebody prayed for an inquisitive child. And all that all child ate was cigarettes off the floor. They're just <laughs> anywhere they went. So I was careful. I didn't want inquisitive. Just, but but you, you can have inquisitive if you want cigarette eaters. But together, we can read the Bible and get some practical things. And people say, yeah, but your children are tall because you're tall. I kid you not, I am a head taller than anyone in my family. But I've got a tiny tots for my family. So praying, and then they say, well, what's the right word? Um, statistics say tall people get jobs. So that, well, hey, give me a tall people, any day. That doesn't say that short people don't, so. <laughs> I'm just saying, I was trying to give them an advantage. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but you, what I'm trying to convey here is that together we can find solutions with the Bible, in the Bible, and what we're doing in all these things. But let's go and...
1: Yeah, maybe just to say, again, why I'm so happy that some of you have got tiny children or haven't had children, because it's so important that you're on the same page, you and your husband, and because that's a united front is vital. And because the enemy will use anything. So if he can use your child to get between you, he will. And the child's none the wiser. They'll test it out. So, so your marriage is something that, that you fight for um, and it will be tested but it will be strengthened through, through parenting if you let it. So, so, but you need to be on the same page and you need to decide how you're going to do things and how you're going to deal with things together. And if Paul starts doing something that I think is wrong, you don't bring it up in front of the children. Let it play out and then you go to him, What did you think you were doing? <laughs> and sort it out and correct whatever. But that there's always unity in, in your parenting. Um, and come and chat, hey, eh? come and chat if you if if you're struggling with anything, it often you just need to talk little things through um, and get advice. We often went to older people in the church to say, What do we do here? How do we do that? What's <clears throat> Okay, so can we
0: just do little things. So something's just come to mind now. Are you happy that we just diggledy piggledy a little bit? Um, so, well, if you're not, sorry. <laughs> but we'll try and be as as we can. But just on, that, on divide and conquer, children will divide and conquer. That is in them. They don't have to learn it. They just do it. The number one way of dividing and conquering is you're watching TV as an example. You're sitting together. They will come and sit in between you. And you think, oh, that's so sweet, man. They just love. No, it's dividing and conquering. Someone told us that our, we, we have never let our children sit in between us. Subtly, they know we're together. We may. Put on, we'll put you on this side. Listen, when there are hundreds of them, you have to put them all over. <laughs> but, but the opportunities come. Don't let them sit in between you. They know now. They don't sit. They don't even try. If I come and sit down next to Beth, they, don't, they move. Not because we don't want them there. I'd love to have them there. But it's just subliminally, we are together. You cannot divide us. And do not ever, 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 ever let your children go to one and then they get the wrong answer so you go to the other. Ever, ever, ever. That gets double punishment, double discipline. It's like lying. Don't do that. Don't let that happen. Man, we are together, even if it's the wrong decision. Wrong decision with unity, God commands a blessing. We can't split this, this up
1: So the one day, Ryan, Ryan came at church, and he asked me if he could go to the Phipps after church. And I said, no, you've got homework, and it's not the day to go for a play date. So he goes to Paul, and Paul says, yeah, sure. So off he goes, and I'm like, what? So he goes with the Phipps, and they go to the barber. And Ryan needs a haircut, so he has a haircut, but he asks for the wrong thing. And the guy just t- gives him like a number one. So he comes home so bleak. His hair has been cut. I said to him, well, bad. what did you do? You try to play dad off against me. Don't you think God knows that? So <laughs> he was so bleak. But it was like, you know, God's principles work. Don't? <laughs> so he had to wait for his hair to grow out. But <laughs> So
0: there are a few... Points and, and questions that that people have asked. But are there any questions that you that you want answered particularly? Just actually let me ask you this. Not to three year olds, who's, who's got those? Okay. Three four to seven. Eight to twelve? Teenagers. Oh gee, when people keep their hands up all the time <laughs> it's a problem <laughs> 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 okay it just gives us going on 14. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. no, it's good to It's good to know who, who one, where one is is aiming in these um, in these things, but are there questions that, that we can answer or, or can we just make some general points
2: mm. <laughs> Thanks Paul, Beth Um, Question uh, You said something You were talking about Fathers must not be Overbearing on their sons That's always That's been something I've been asking myself Of where the line is Um, Because I'm looking back On how my father was with me And although I know He was strict I know it was with love Um, And I don't question how my father raised me. And I'm also cognizant of the fact that I have tendencies of having a hard hand. So asking where the line is and how to use judgment um, when raising a
0: child. (laughs) So your line is going to be different to my line. And when I look back and see how my parents raised me, that's sometimes not helpful because they did the best they could, but I know that some of the things they did, I wouldn't do. And so your line of, of to become overbearing, we need to be making sure that we're spending more time with God and, and praying in time of prayer than we are disciplining when we get up in the morning and we find our children irritating from the minute they get up, we're not spending time with the father. I'm just telling you that straight up. And the minute we're spending lots of time with the father, or at least regular times, we find that I find that I'm much better at dealing with my children without becoming overbearing. And it's also age-dependent. Because a little child needs more guarding and getting onto a narrow path, then hopefully if you get that right when they're young, that by the time they get older, one can take one's hand off a little bit and give them more rope. My dad, I'm not saying this is right. My dad always said this. You give a child enough rope that just before they hang themselves, you help them. Now <laughs> that can be a helpful thing. That you can give them some space and not be overbearing. That that they can have rope to play with and, and be like that. And always remember, we, we're not, you hear about helicopter parenting. Friends, we're not there to be helicopter parents. We're there to get, let our children experience life. And then we help them and guide them and keep them. And if they disobey and if they are cheeky, then, then I can be strong. I want them to leave home or get to school and not have to be disciplined by the teachers. The teachers phone me and say, your child's a nightmare. I don't want that. I want my child to be a blessing. And that starts with me guiding them and helping them. Not to the point where they can't put a step left or right, but that they can experience life, but within the boundaries. And maybe... I think if we are feeling we're being too overbearing, we probably are. I don't know if that's answering
1: very nicely, but it's Just that we don't discipline in anger. Because when you're angry, you can, you know, it's so, so that the, you need to just take a step back <laughs> and, and pray. And yeah, there are just times when you need to kick out. You can go and sort it out later. But if you are angry, if, if rage is kicking in, you need to stop. You just need to, to get out of the situation. Yeah.
0: I don't know if that helps you, but it is such a difficult question. How, how do I not be overbearing? God, God, show me. Please help me. Show me what it is. But We will deal with discipline in a, in a bigger form. Anyone else?
2: I think as a father, um, the... Just to remember that, and it's particularly difficult when it comes to sons, because, you know, as they grow older, you can only have one bull in the home and not two. And so it does make it difficult. That is often a challenge. But as a father, I think you need to, one needs to remember that you choose the battles that you want to fight. And don't, some of those fights you may have to just let go. But the ones that you feel God's saying that you've got to deal with, you'll deal with those ones. Because you'll frustrate your boy if you want to criticize him and correct him at every move. You don't want that. You want him to allow him to grow and sometimes experience the hard knocks of life. Allow him to experience what it feels like when he makes poor decisions. And to um, pull him back in and correct him. Hey, you see what you did there? And and that that I found, or we found, quite helpful.
0: Else?
1: So Nicole asked me what do meals look like at your house. <laughs> so <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you what meals look like. We, we made a decision to always sit down as a family to eat our meals. And I think we... we got counsel from, yeah, from other parents in the church, but there's just a gap where you can just regroup as a family and chat. And the little ones, I mean, we, one of Paul's siblings um, always let the children eat, with the maid and then they would eat later. And, and Paul just said, those children have got disgusting table manners. They don't know how to eat. They don't know because the parents didn't sit there. And, it, and it's messy with toddlers and little ones. And yeah, if you're going out or you've got people coming, you might, they might eat on their own. But, but just that your daily normal is that you will have the one throwing his food on the floor in his high chair or whatever? But that's that's part of it, you know. That's part of just eating together, um, and chatting together, praying together, talking through your day. There's just a gap, especially with, um, you know, if if if. At the moment, I've got a full-time job and I work hard. So I get home, I'm tired. But I know that I'm going to have that time around the table where we can just connect. There's no agenda, there's no phones, there's nothing. We just catch up on our day together. Um, so, we've, yeah, we've really fought for that. Um, yeah.
0: So let me ask a question. How, what sort of capacity have, have your children got? And Nola McKellar, who, Ian McKellar's wife, who led, well, I can't remember the name of the church, doesn't really matter. Anyway, they're in Singapore now. She said, your children have got a much bigger capacity than you will ever give them credit for. So instead of giving our children children's Bibles, we gave them adult Bibles, and there's a the NRV, There's an NIRV. No, I mean I'm not saying for a two-year-old, give them the NIV and expect them to read it. But when they could read, so there's an NIRV, which is the New International Reader's Version, which just dumbs down the big words into littler words and enables them to read much more advanced Bibles than picture Bibles. And so it is. It's really just it helps stretch your children. And if you children of, of, we had a children's Bible, my dad found it. He said, oh, I'd lost. I, be, I understand the Bible. So it was next to his bed. He read the <laughs> Jolly Children's Bible. So a bit of a challenge. My dad's dead, so it's fine. <laughs> He'll never hear this. I'm an orphan. And, um, <laughs> but get Bibles as advanced as you can. And I'm telling you, you'll be amazed at what they pick up when they read it. Uh, you know that you, you go to a, a children's ministry, and your children are the ones onto no, not you, next child. And why? because they've just they've read parts of the Bible that that maybe was a, a picture in uh, in before that, and um, stretch them, stretch them onto simple things. This is what I didn't get right. So for me, uh, the only time that I created space for I can't I'm not responsible for Beth's relationship with Jesus. That's her problem and her job. But I can create space for her to do that. So the only time that I could create space in our day was early in the morning. So as a result, I did breakfast and the children's lunches. And here's the mistake I made. I made them lunches for a very long time. It's a big error. Children can make their own lunches from a very early age in their lives. And so the the younger ones, bad luck, I I caught on. And so they all make their own lunches. And the other thing we got was they don't need juice. Water saved me a fortune. They can take water to school. It's the most amazing thing. But the point being, friends, get your children to do things on their own that they can do. They can make lunch early. And even if they can't, they can help you so that they're getting it. They're going to preschool and they can put the popcorn in and and put the sandwiches. And we don't have cold meat and fancy lunches. It's peanut butter, bread. And I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm just telling you what we've done. And they get sick of it. You've got to believe it. But so they, none of them eat peanut butter by the time they leave school. But that's also cool. I've, I've done well with, with peanut butter sandwiches and popcorn. But they can do it. They really can. And if they don't have juice to mix, bargain. It's the best thing ever in the whole wide world. But they can do it. They can carry their school bags. So Susie, she was not too big at grade one. And in she goes and so you know, you get the Walt- Walton's box. Um, she could not carry it. So I thought, OK, shame. I'm prepared to carry it just this once. So I carried her, her Walton's bag in and her other bag, which is just about dragging on the floor. It's so, it's so big for her. That was day one. I went in with her. Day two, she's on her own. So she got lost. And the teachers are mortified, horrified that, where's your parents? Sh-? No, I don't know, my dad. <laughs> Wave me goodbye. <laughs> but she learned. In day three, she knew where to go. Never has to worry again. I'm telling you now, you drive outside school any day of the week now. I'm not looking at anyone in case you're doing this. But they can carry their own bags. I see every morning, there's mom carrying the, kit, the cricket bag up until, I mean, do me a favor. Don't do that, please. Don't do that. I'm begging you, just so that I don't see you doing it, please. I, I, and I, that's the other thing. Honestly, I never. We never look at your children and think, yeah, they should be doing something different. Those are your children. I, I, I don't. If they're in my house and they're breaking my fish tank, that's different. But generally speaking, we don't. We, you, your own children. Please don't. Don't ever feel judged by anybody. That they're your children. That they must. They must take it. But um, what was I saying? Yeah, let, just stretch them. Stretch your children. Get them to do things sooner than later, rather. Let them, let them carry their, their stuff. Let them cover their own books. We have not got this right by any stretch. So unlucky, the last born is now covering his own books at high school. Man, they can cover their own books together. They can do it. You can do it with you, but let them, let them do things as best they can. Makes sense? Okay, what else? Anything else? Okay.
1: Just um, somebody also taught us this. When they come to you with a big, long story and, and it's a big problem, and then Paul would say, well, what are you going to do about it? And you just, it just, because they often can do something about it, you know, they spilt the juice and the, this, well, what are you going to do about it? Okay, well, I can pick it up and I can wipe the floor and I can, and you, it just kicks their brain into a sol- problem solving, not a problem mode, you know, so it, yeah, it really did change. And Paul was good with that, that he often used to just stop and say, okay, what are you going to do about it? And sometimes they need help, but it just changed the problem. And as parents, we want to problem solve. We want to just make the problem go away so we can do it so we'll sort it out. Um, But you're not teaching them anything in that place. I remember one mother said, I do not bake with my children. You know what a nightmare that is. And I was like, well, how's your kid ever going to learn? to cook or bake if you won't let them make a big mess in your kitchen, because <laughs> that's how they learn, you know, so, so you, 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 and you need time and you need space and you need patience, and maybe you will send them to Gran, because Gran likes cooking with them, but, <laughs> but, um, but but they need to learn, and it is messy, and, um, and, and sometimes you also need to just. Decide what you're learning because you might not be actually getting to that cake that you're gonna make, but you could learn something else like how to mix or how to do something and you might not actually get an end product, but you've still learnt on the way, you know. So I I remember the one time we went to play adventure golf and we had I think a three and an eighteen month year old. I mean, spot the mistake, but anyway. (laughs) So we get there and of course the three-year-old's quite ball skills and he's going along and then the 18 month is fighting for the for the thing. And I just realized, actually, this is, this is chaos. So we were like, okay, what can we, we can learn one thing on this trip. So we decided we were gonna to learn to take turns because that was something they could learn. So we would just like, Josh, I mean, he knew what a turn was, Susie didn't, but it was fine. Okay, it's not your turn, wait, it's Josh's turn. And we'd get her to wait and Josh would, wherever the ball went, who knew? And, and then Susie would have her turn and then she learned to take a turn. So I mean really no golf was played that day, but, but we learned to take turns. So, so you just sometimes you just damage control. Like what are we going to learn today? And the outcome is not actually that important. It's more the process that, that you're learning at the time.
0: So and, and play to your strengths. I, I, I'm not the cook. I, I can't bear the mess. It's just... But be patient and kind and gentle and good with that. I, I, I'm not. But I am good at getting them to jump off a high diving board. So we go to the, the pool here, the three-meter diving board. We've got a child in a Bentley belt. It's not big. Not a Bentley belt is? There's a tube around and a little vest thing. So, I mean, I don't know how old whoever the child was. And, I mean, it's, it takes a bit of approach, you know, from behind, you know. But they jump and, hey, what an amazing thing. They back up and they can go again. I'm good at that. We, we, we can get our children to be adventurous. We can, we can play to each other's strengths. They can go home and cook. But, hey, mom, I jumped off the three-meter diving board. I remember in, um, we were down the coast somewhere and, uh, and Michael was tiny. He jumped off this high rock. I mean, he was a lunatic. He jumped straight off and Ryan would not jump everyone else jumped Ryan is second youngest okay so but he must have been I don't know how old he was but he was old enough to be able to overcome his fear friends we can walk away and say "Oh, shame never mind you can next time man there may never be a next time So don't let your child get away with that because they can overcome their fear it's not they didn't hurt no one got hurt no one's psyche got damaged. Sandy can fix that if there's a problem. <laughs> but Sandy was just saying such an important thing uh, in the break, that we have the blueprint. We have the, the model, the, the, the Bible. And underneath that comes all the wisdom, that the, the psychological wisdom, the, the good books. Dobson writes amazing books, but they're not this. They're not to be referred to in front of the Bible. And Danny Silk got amazing stuff. Not to be referred to. I've tried Danny Silk. I've read it. I've listened. It's amazing. It doesn't work on my children. I tried. I tried it. Tried all sorts of things that he says. Nothing, <laughs> nothing where I've got strange children. I don't know. But this works. Never failed. And so, so we grab the Bible say, Lord. So if you think of something in the week and you think, well, that's not in the Bible. We can make could happen that there isn't a Bible. I'll give you an example. That um, So in, in 2 Corinthians 1, it says we serve the God who comforts. And so let's say Beth the, the, the represents the God who comforts. And then in Psalm 24, it says he, he is strong and mighty. And so my daughter is 10 years old. She's playing hockey, and she gets a belt on the hand. And oh, shame. Shame, now you better come off, off the field. I am going nuts on the side, on the miles away. Don't leave the field. You may not leave the field. All the teachers, all the, all the love is being poured out on our shame. See, the trouble is once you're off the field, you're never going to get back on because Jimmy, who's taken your place, isn't going to get off. Friends, they're not namby. they just just a hit on the hand. They'll be fine. They will be fine. Just let them grow up strong and courageous, bold. A little knock is not going to hurt them. I promise. And uh, we we spoke about this once, in, um, in a, on a Sunday morning, and the the guy, one guy said, "Man, this th- my child from now, that I'm going to be strong, and and we're going to be courageous." They went home and, the, and he said, told his wife, and his wife said. Not so much. <laughs> We're not going to do that. We'll do it my way. Gentle, loving, kind, which is perfect. But I tell you what, our children have got to be both strong and loving. We can do it together and we can get this thing. We can survive this thing called parenting, this beautiful opportunity. And at times you think, dear God, why have you done this to me? And others you can think of the wonder that, that God is, has done and the amazing things and you can look back with pride and joy at the same time. Okay, is that okay? Yes, Stanley.
3: Yeah, just, it's uh, <coughs> a kind of question, and also just to align what um, you were already explaining. I think sometimes the children do mistakes, and also our parents accept that we do mistakes to our children. And there is a kind of fear which drives parents uh, in many ways uh, to do mistakes to our children because there's a fear which drives, I'm talking from my experience, the fear of the future of my children. Then you tend to to, to, to limit them where you don't uh, want to limit or they say, oh. We want to do this. And then you try to strict because it's the kind of fear that drive you to say, oh, if I let this, they will be there. If I not uh, take in care, because that's, the, that's a love as a parents that we have. You want your children to be in that level. But there is a fear which is still drive you to say, oh, let's. Um, strict there, discipline and so on. I remember <laughs> I was telling Beth we were talking with a Paul when we were in Bok. say when we can stop parenting, and then at the same time that is a fear which say, oh, when I can stop the child is enough. Grow up at which stage and so on. So that kind of fear, how we can control? I think. I don't know if it's only me who experienced that kind of fear, but there is a level of, also of control. Yes, the Bible is, is a tool. It's helping when it comes to your fear of your child, will be this, will be this. You end up by making mistakes. Yeah, thank you.
0: You can. You may.
4: I just wanted to make an observation in the light of what you've just said, Stanley, and uh, that is that there are these three styles of parenting that we won't go into now because Paul and Beth might well touch on that, but it is the authoritative parenting style that has over eons of research been the one that has proven to be the better, of the three parenting styles. And for me, when I think about parenting, if I want to be an authoritative parent where I'm not tossed this way and that way, I need to be able to settle on a foundation that is not moving um, so that I can have that confidence, I can have that authority. But why it's more of an imperative, so that's almost an aside. I would want us as parents prospective parents to remember that we are containers for our children in that place of authority so we've heard of authoritative parenting if we are able to model a, a kind of authority that is not um, triggered by anger uh heard specifically don't discipline and anger but it's triggered by a conviction that what I am doing is to serve your best interests. I'm not living through you vicariously or anything else. I want you to see your best interests served. We model something for our children that is very, very powerful because they then will be able to exercise greater authority when they get into situations as adolescents, as pubescents, teenagers. Um, and we often might say to them, Uh, well, just stand up against that person, just uh, stand your ground. Now, if we haven't modeled something in that window period of what they might call optimal neuroplasticity, the chances of them having that model in their head to stand up against their peers as teenagers is going to be diminished if we haven't been able to show them that we could stand up against them who they they in the hierarchy subordinates and now we're wanting them to stand up against their contemporaries. So there's even a greater imperative for me to follow this authoritative style of parenting, a model on the one hand, but to base it on the word and not on anything else that can shift with the popularity of time, like Dr. Benjamin Spock was the rage decades ago. And now many of the question marks are, no, no, no. That doesn't happen with the word of God.
0: Uh, thank you. And there, there, there's also the, just the, this fear. That, that we, we live in this fear that our children aren't going to turn out okay. We honestly, that, that is a, that is a, that's from the enemy. It is not of God. And we just got to lay it down and say, Lord, as best I know how, I've done my best. It's never too late. Uh, every situation is redeemable. We say, "Lord, I put my children in your care, in your hands. I'm going to do the best I can, and I'm not going to live in the fear of what might happen. It might not happen. You can't live in that place that might it might come to be."
1: There's that scripture that says, "Take your mind captive." And and we have to do that as parents. We have to take our thoughts captive because Even, um, I mean, as a doctor, what happens if somebody's got a symptom, I immediately, ding, 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 go to the worst that could possibly happen, because I know that could be that. Or even worse, when I was pregnant, doctors do not read any textbook when you're pregnant. It's the worst thing you could do, because what does a textbook show you? Everything that goes wrong. I had to quickly, okay, where's a maternity book that tells you all the beautiful things because 99.99 are beautiful and don't go wrong, you know. So it's that washing your mind with, with the good and the right and the and it take, we need faith because it is a wild world out there, but God loves our children more than us. And so he is fighting for them more than we are fighting for them. And we do need walk to walk closely with him. And you know that little niggle in your heart when you just like, oh, I don't like that child. Then don't go to their house. Don't let them go and play with a kid that you don't like. You don't have to. Don't just... just Follow, follow that little niggle, and some of the kids at church you don't want your kids playing with either. So (laughs) don't, (laughs) don't. But you can guide these things, you know. Yes, you can play at church, but no, no, you're not going to that person's house. Just you know your kid, because different kids are swayed by different things, and and as parents, God gave you the, the 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 beautiful job of bringing up that child, and so. You know what's best for them. You're the best caregiver for your child. So, yeah. So, but but that take your thoughts captive. It's, we, we just have to do that. No, stop going down that rabbit hole. Lord, we believe in the best. And, and sometimes that, that anxiety that you start to feel, turn it into prayer. Sometimes, I mean, my kids are in Joburg, so, I mean, who knows what they're getting up to. But if I suddenly start thinking about Sam, and I'm, I'm just, yes, Lord, okay, I pray for this. If I'm worried about something, I just pray for this, and I pray for that, and I pray, for just pray. Just turn it into prayer, because sometimes it is the Holy Spirit just just alerting you to something, and, and you pray. In fact, sometimes I've said to him, what happened to Daniel? Tell me, I was like, okay, I was praying, and I, I knew there was something. So, so, just, yeah, turn your anxiety into prayer. <coughs>
0: Perfect. Sorry this is so late. If we've ever refused our children to come to your house, I apologize. <laughs> it's not because I don't like your child. <laughs> Friends, have fun. Uh, I hope this has been vaguely helpful in some manner or way or form. And But we'll see you through the week or next week. Cool.